0: and you're welcome back. John Gibbons is with me in the studio. But before we get to him, I do just want to bring you one of your comments in on the Eurovision because there were so many of them coming in. And that's probably reflecting that a lot of people are criticising the band, but some people are defending Wild Youth. There was nothing wrong with Ireland's entry. It's just that the voting trends have changed. Wild Youth had a great song and a great performance, but still couldn't get through. So I, for one, don't care anymore if we enter or not, given the rubbish songs that got through on Tuesday. Thank you very much for that comment. Deck, who sent it in? Keep your views coming. 87 John Gibbons, we won't get to whether you have a view on Ireland's Eurovision entry or not, but there are some significant stories this week about environmental news that are important, and one of them is from home today, and it's been announced that Ireland has had an auction for Irish offshore wind farms. Now, before anybody thinks what on earth is this and does it matter to me, we have relied for so long to fuel the country, power plants relying on coal emissions and on natural gas, which we import from all around the world through pipes. Today, Airgrid, which runs the network, saying that they have held an auction to build offshore wind farms and potentially significant portions of the country's power in the future could come from these.
1: Yeah, good evening Ian. Absolutely, this is big news. That's the first thing I'd say. Um, it's the first offshore um, licensing round in over 20 years. We, we built out a small farm on the Arklow Bank back in the early 2000s.
0: The old electricity one that the yeah, built.
1: And, and nothing since, which is really pretty strange. And as we know, onshore wind, uh, it has had some success, but it's also controversial for all kinds of reasons. Because people object to it when they shouldn't. That's right. And also they can be built in the wrong places, like, for example, on cutaway bogs. Really bad idea. So offshore wind for Ireland is undoubtedly where we need to be going. And the government has set a target uh, for 2030 of getting seven gigawatts onto the network, seven additional gigawatts of offshore wind. Now, to translate that into, into I suppose, plain speak, a gigawatt of energy is about the equivalent of our largest Coal-fired power station, Money Point, is just under a gigawatt. So seven gigawatts is a lot. That would be more, in fact, than the whole country uses in a typical day at the moment. So this first round, what, what they've basically brought through are three gigawatts of, of projects have been approved right? So that's probably the equivalent of about maybe a quarter to a third of all of Ireland's uh, electricity requirements at the moment. Now of course that will change between now and 2030 because if you like the the linchpin to the transition the energy transition that we need to undergo in Ireland is we need clean energy in order to electrify our transport system, in order to electrify home heating. They're the two really tough things to electrify. So we're beginning to see this, the electrification of transport, say through electric vehicles is is beginning to go exponential and we expect that to explode over the next number of years, that's going to require a huge amount of additional electricity. Now, without this new wind power, we would be burning oil or coal to produce that electricity.
0: John, this is a very good day, very good day for the government for this, and a very good day for the companies, the multiple international companies that will build this, but nothing has happened yet. And I remember, John, reporting on plenty of companies who have said, we are going to bring renewable power to Ireland, sustainable energy, and they all then pull out because they can't make money out
1: of it. Sure. And I, I totally get that. But I do believe that this has been thought out properly. Some of the sticking points, in, like the foreshore licensing and so on, this has been fast-tracked and streamlined. I think part of the problem, of course, in Ireland is projects like this, they go into the regulations to die. And, the, the, the and backers, they go to the planning
0: system And they go into well. the
1: planning system to die. So in fairness, a lot of the background work that the government have been doing on this is to streamline and also to bang heads together to make sure that this happens. Because, of course, you've got to get your finance together, you've got to get your technology. There's a huge amount of moving parts, I mean, literal moving parts, that have to be assembled. I mean, these things, to, to, to give people an idea, these are really astonishing um, pieces of technology. Like, for example, we're looking at individual turbines um, 300 metres tall. That's almost a 1,000 feet tall. Now, don't worry, they'll be well offshore. Uh, In the case of the the Codling Wind Park, which is a huge 1,300 megawatt wind park, um, that plans to be about 13 kilometres offshore. So it shouldn't, uh, I hope, it shouldn't exercise the NIMBYs unduly. But I do think we've got to, this is the golden opportunity. It's been talked about for years. This is the chance we have to actually revolutionise our energy system. And the key thing, Ian, at the moment, you you said in your intro, we're one of the most fossil fuel dependent countries in the world. We import about six and a half billion euros worth of fossil fuels. That means money leaving the country. It also means lots of pollution. This step today alone will cut Ireland's carbon emissions by a million tonnes per annum going forward. That's just the first phase of this. Now, I Share your concerns. Of course, these things have got to get built. Uh, now, also another thing to consider is the price. Um, the the wholesale price that's being guaranteed to the uh, developers here is eighty six uh, euros a megawatt hour. They had set a kind of a ceiling of one hundred and fifty that people were a bit alarmed about. It's come in at eighty six. Now, if you get out your calculator, that works out in at a net price uh, at at a wholesale level of eight point six cents per kilowatt hour. Now,
0: how does that compare? How does to that compare?
1: If I have a look at my bill as I did before I came out today, my my average uh, retail uh, price that I'm paying through electricity is about 42, 43 cents. So there's a huge amount of saving built in there. We can get electricity prices down in Ireland. So don't mind the begrudgers. Renewable energy means cheaper electricity for home consumers. That's really the ding dong message here.
0: Yeah, I'm the one getting criticised on text for my comments about NIMBYism there. Uh, John? W- you know, I pointed out the start there. This is the government announcing this today with an auction. International companies are going to build this. We do have energy companies in Ireland. We have the ESB. We have and We have Quilcher who are doing onshore wind farms and renewable energy and all of these things. If we're ambitious for this country to get rid of fossil fuels and carbon should we not be doing this ourselves? We have plenty of money. We had Michael McGrath, a finance minister, saying we've got surpluses totalling 65 billion quid.
1: In an ideal situation, Ian, yes, we would have Irish companies. The problem is, the likes of Bordnemona, they simply don't have the expertise. Offshore wind is massively complex. These are gigantic engineering projects. Other companies, the likes of Statcraft and so on, they have the jump on us. They've already been building these things in the North Sea. And if you can successfully build and deploy wind turbines in the North Sea, you can sure as heck do it off the east coast of Ireland. So I think it's probably in an ideal world, we would wait and do it ourselves. But that would mean waiting maybe another 10 or 15 years. And I think we need to move on this. So at the moment, this is clearly we're we're bringing in external uh, companies to do it. I think that's fine. It is locking in lower energy prices and predictable energy prices. I think that's really important, Ian. We've seen how the country was turned upside down because of the Ukraine war. This type of domestically produced energy will be a massive buffer meaning that we'll be much less exposed to international energy shocks because of the way this is structured with that 86 euro per megawatt hour. Basically, there's a buffer there beyond which prices cannot rise. And in reality, they should be coming down.
0: Let's move on to something that's happening much closer to home here in Tallinn, Dublin. There are some groups looking to do wind energy themselves.
1: That's right. Well, in fact, rather than doing wind energy, this is more, if you like, in a spillover, because at the moment, right, even with the wind energy that we already have, which is almost all onshore wind, at night, uh, Airgrid is often sending signals to the, to the wind energy companies to spin down their turbines, because there's more wind energy available in Ireland on, on, a, on a breezy night than we can actually use. So the obvious thing to do with that energy is something useful. So what's happened here is that it's an initiative called Energy Cloud and they're taking the surplus renewable energy and they're heating water cylinders in homes across Ireland. It's starting off with a, with a, a pilot project of about 250 tenants in, in social housing. And the idea, Ian, I think it's kind of clever, is um, each of those uh, immersions are fitted with a little, a little gizmo, a doodah, as we call it, which is activated when there's basically free electricity available. So it switches on your tank, and it pours in free electricity. Now, it's fantastic. So, in, in a sense, the tanks that are filling up with this are the equivalent, if you like, of a hot water battery. And they're basically taking an asset, with, which, of course, is electricity. The thing with electricity is it's a use-it-or-lose-it technology. It's produced and has to be used within a nanosecond of its production, wherever that is. So, if you can quickly transfer it into another form of, of energy, like heat, that's a way of doing it. Now, the calculation on this particular one is if it's scaled up and rolled out, we could look at about 260, 70,000 homes getting this type of service they reckon that that's about at the moment about 200,000 euros of electricity per night that is being wasted anytime there's, there, there's any kind of a breeze in the evening that's so much has been wasted now I was thinking about this as well Ian and you know why should we stop there the, I mean, we're now adding thousands of electric cars to the grid. Now, those electric cars are also, if you like, a virtual battery. If you've got, say, 10, 20, 100,000 electric cars, why shouldn't we consider them as a virtual power station where the individual car owner can enter a contract to sell back to the state a maybe 20, 30, 50 kilowatts of energy when there's a peak and then buy it back? and use that as a virtual battery. The technology, by the way, in case this sounds like science fiction, and the technology for this exists. We just need to, again, knock some heads.
0: I have a very brief amount of time left, but we're going to be speaking in the next half hour about whether Dublin Airport needs a new terminal to deal with all the passengers that will be coming here over the next few years. Great idea, isn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah, we... we I don't think we need to be expanding aviation in the middle of a climate emergency. I really don't. Uh, I think we've got uh, we've got our, our two terminals. I think it is now uh, where I think Aer Lingus or not Aer Lingus, Dublin Airport, I should said, put 35 million passenger movements through Dublin Airport in 2019. They're aiming, I think, to ramp that up to 40 million. Uh, just to remind people, there's five million people on our little island. Uh, so 40 million passenger movements through one of our airports. We really need to catch ourselves on a little bit here, Ian. There's 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 bigger things to consider including the fact that 80% of the world's population have never set foot in an aircraft, will never set foot in an aircraft, and we need to maybe uh, be a little more uh, careful and judicious in how we use the the very limited available uh, atmospheric space. And uh, endless flying is not a cure.
0: John Gibbons, you and I can discuss aviation and travel another time, but thank you very much for coming in this evening. Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30.